Now, one thing that's very unique at the plant is, is that oftentimes we think about churches are only allowed to partner with Christian organizations, right? Like if they're not Christians, we don't give to them, right? That's kind of like the, the, the mentality that we have all been brought up if you've been brought up in the church. We say the opposite. We have foreign missionaries that we support that are spreading the gospel of Jesus in Uganda, in Turkey, and we are the missionaries here in our domestic region. And so as we partner with other organizations, they are the hands of Jesus, and we are able to come alongside to be the voice of Jesus. Because right now, there's a lot more nonprofits that are doing the work of Christ than a lot of the churches out there. And that's sad to say. And so how do we as a church come alongside other organizations such as the CFA, Family Promise, Relay for Life, all these different organizations, and be present to make Christ known? That's what we do. Uh, three weeks ago, the Mawa Group did the Relay for Life, and they raised like $1,700 for cancer research. Uh, great opportunity. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be bringing these different uh, missional communities up to share what they had done and what they're learning and what God is teaching them. Um, this week is a part three to the last two weeks. Now, I usually don't hand out my notes, but I want to make sure that people aren't getting lost in what I'm speaking about. Um, the last two weeks, we have been stuck in Mark chapter nine, and every time I'm ready to wrap it up, someone goes, one more week, one more week. And I'm like, okay, if that's what God's doing, and if there's something else that we're supposed to learn in this passage, then we will conclude it. And so this week, we are going to continue our message in Mark chapter 9 to talk about the authority of the believer. Now, let me set up the passage before I read a portion of it. Jesus had just came off the mountain of the mountain of transfiguration. There was his three disciples that were with him, and when he came off the mountain... There was a huge commotion, a huge commotion. All these people were surrounding the disciples. They had asked the disciples a ton of questions, and they had asked the disciples to do miraculous acts. But something happened. At one point, a guy had brought his child, his son, probably a teenager, to the disciples to deal with a demonic presence in his life. But nothing had changed. The young man was not released. And the evil was taunting the crowd and taunting the people. And finally, when Jesus came off the mountain and this father saw Jesus coming, he ran up to Jesus and he confronted them. Verse 17 in Mark chapter 9, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. You could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I beg? How, must I, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground. 
writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. If anything is possible, if anything is possible, if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, and here's the tension. But help me overcome my unbelief. We've been talking about this. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about overcoming our unbelief. But the thing that sticks out to me in this passage is is that if this guy really did not have belief, would he have shown up? I mean, think about this. When he saw the disciples, what did he do? He brought his son to them. And when it didn't work with the disciples, what did, they do ne- what did he do next? He then went to Jesus. And I often think about unbelief. And people that keep showing up and showing up, and they say, I don't have belief, I don't have belief, I don't believe. You do have belief. Because you keep showing up. And as much as this father was saying, I don't believe, he's basically saying, I struggle because I do believe and nothing has changed. For some of you right there, that should be a breath of fresh air. Because the more that you press into God, even in the midst of things that are happening, you are constantly saying, God, I'm struggling. Help me overcome that barrier. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Keep showing up. And I don't mean on Sunday. I mean every day. I mean every day that you wake up, keep showing When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? Here we go again. The disciples have done this before. They were equipped. They were trained. They went out. They healed. They delivered. They did amazing things. Amazing things. So when this father brought this son, their first thought was, this is easy. Get out. But as I've been talking about the last couple weeks, it's not always A plus B equals God. Sometimes there's other things, other barriers that stand in our way that God is trying to break through and to teach us. You see, oftentimes in the church, we have habits and patterns that, that we have to unlearn and in many ways relearn to know Christ. You see, these disciples had grown up and they were taught to pray. They were taught to seek God. They were taught to know Him. But Jesus says, I have a new way. 
I have a new manner. I have a whole new power that you haven't even tapped into. And oftentimes what we have to realize is that in our blindedness, in our putting God into a box, we have told God who he is, what he can and cannot do, and how he's supposed to show up. But if we are a disciple, then we actually have to relearn what does it mean to know him? What does it mean to seek him? And in many ways, we have to unlearn unbiblical habits that we have deemed as biblical. So this morning, we're going to continue in our, in our, in our series on the authority of the believer. Because as I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, and you guys have been resonating with this like crazy, I can't tell you the walks or the conversations or, or whatever. People are saying, I, I feel like something's happening in my life. Can, can, can you keep this going? You see, Jesus is pointing in this passage to an authority that he was granted by God the Father. That he wants to transition into his disciples. You hear what I'm saying? He is showing an authority that he has been granted by the Father. That he wants to give to his disciples. And the one thing that I think that I think about over the last couple weeks as I study this passage and I, and I look at my notes and I think about you is the one thing that was so unique about Jesus that the church in the Western world has lost is the idea of authority. Because we don't like authority unless we are in a position of authority. Correct? Better said amen. amen. Jim always gives me an amen. Amen? Amen. We don't like authority. We get into a job so that we can be the boss and so that we can boss others around. Right? Or we want to do a job in which we are left alone so that we have the power and the dominion to do what we want. But Jesus never did that. See, if you read through the first part of the notes, the authority of Christ, Jesus came to do one thing and one thing alone, to destroy the works of the devil. But he only did this because he sat under the authority of the Father. He only did what the Father commanded him to do. And so he spent time alone in prayer to seek the Father, to get direction from the Father, to then do what the Father had for him to do the next day. And so everything that Jesus did was under that authority. And he demonstrated the authority of God in his teaching, people were blown away. You can look up the passages. But also in his actions. I mean, when he spoke, not only in a message, but in a proclamation over the demonic or over nature, that had to stop. But you see, he didn't come that he would woo the people. You see, we forget that. We think that he only came to woo the people and then to leave. And so much of the theology that we hear today is that we say that there was a church age, a, a period of time that only the supernatural worked, only the presence of God was available, and only certain gifts of the Spirit were working. That is a horrible translation. 
That is a horrible translation because then you say that God was only good back then, but he's no good now. I think about this past week and the evil that we see has happened. You notice how people stop and recognize the evil? Have you seen that? All of the petty garbage came off the table in our country. All of the, 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 the minuscule stuff that is all about selfish greed came off the table. And the thing that came on the table was, let's deal with the evil that is happening in our country. Jesus came to destroy that work. Not just in the big D, but in the little Ds, the little demons, the little devil that terrorizes our lives and our families. You see, the problem is this. We either overestimate evil or we underestimate it. But what's the reality of the Scriptures? But what I love and what I see is that Jesus said, I am doing something that when I leave, you are going to do it as well. You hear me? You're going to do it also. And we see this in the Gospel of Mark. In all of the Gospels, we see the disciples doing what Jesus had done. They incarnated his power and brought freedom and life and liberty and healing and deliverance. First of all, that's a beautiful sound. So no one, okay? We, we allow crying babies. And that little one's cute, isn't he? Yeah. What a cutie. What a cutie. But he gave his disciples that same authority. And this is where we get tripped up. Because we know that he gave the disciples that authority. But do we believe that he gives that same authority to us? Does he? Well, Rob probably has it because he's a pastor. I talked about that last week. Omar probably has it too. And Jeremy and, and you know, Sue Shur. Because she's in Kidsman. So Kidsman people get it too, right? No, it's for all of us. You see, the problem is this, is that we think about the authority of Christ as a special gifting, as only certain people have it and only certain people are supposed to, to live out the kingdom of God, to manifest the kingdom of God. But that's so unbiblical. Colossians. Look what it says in Colossians 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. You see, when Jesus left and was risen to life, and when Pentecost came, he said, you are now. If you believe in me as Lord, as Savior, you are transferred into the kingdom of God. You are a child of God. You are redeemed. You are justified. And I am going to give you the Holy Spirit to reveal my presence in you. Listen to this in John. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. 
and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in, the, in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Jesus has given us authority over evil. But like Jesus, and here's the key, we need to position ourselves under Christ's authority. If you are unwilling to put yourself under the authority of Christ, do not expect God to do miraculous things. Do you hear me? That's a strong statement. If you ever want to know the fullness of God, the full blessings that God has for you, do not expect any of them until you put yourself under the authority of Christ and say, Jesus, every day, every day I'm going to learn to walk like you. Every day I'm going to learn to be filled with your presence as you were so that I can so I can model the Father to the world around me. You see, because the church has not learned this, we have made Christianity into a moral religion. It was never meant to be a moral religion. Yes, our morals get tighter and better and more perfect under Christ, but that was not the purpose. The purpose of Jesus coming was that we would be rescued from the bond of sin and death to be identified as His children to reveal the kingdom of God amongst us. So if you believe that being a good moral Christian is all you're supposed to do until you die, you have missed the gospel. Because no matter how much good you can do, our hearts are still evil. I could go help out on Catherine Ave a couple years ago all day long, and the next minute I could be driving home hating someone in my heart. I could go pray for someone and spend the whole day counseling, but I could be ticked off at my family. There's a lot of this evil that's in us, and so my morality is not what Christ came for. My life, Jesus came for. That he would rescue me from the depths of sin and death so that I can follow him to position myself under his authority, to live in his authority so that I can begin to reveal the kingdom of God to the world around me. And I don't mean Uganda. You can look at the list of what we are called to do, that we have in our authority, we are able to, to call for protection, that we're able to ask for prevention, we're, at, we're able to pray prayers of blessings over people, and that yes, we can heal. It's a tension we don't understand, but the problem is with the church is that the things we don't like about the Bible or the things we haven't seen, we throw it away, and we hold on to the things that are easier for us. I'll never forget when I met a guy and his, he was sick 
very, very sick. And I was asked to go to his house. For some reason, they just welcomed me in. And I just kept showing up time and time and time again. And they said to me, man, every time you come, there, there's a peace in this house. And they said to me, the first, since the first day you've come to me, a peace has never left. That wasn't me. That was God's presence. Because when I left, I just said, God, bless this house. Bless it. In the midst of their tragedy, in the midst of what they're going through, just rest. Rest. That was the word. Rest. Rest. But you see, this, this authority that Jesus had given the disciples and has given to us, yes, was given for two reasons. First, to reveal our identity as children of God. Listen to this passage. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. When we come to Christ, he adopts us. I love little Ryan Waters. Everyone know Ryan Waters? Everyone knows Ryan Waters. He's always like bouncing off the walls, right? That's what we love about Ryan. He's like a ninja. Like one minute he comes up, he'll kick you and he'll steal your donut. Next minute he's hugging you. That's what we love Ryan Waters. Ryan was adopted. But Ryan is his parents' kid. I mean, if you see that boy, you're like, wow, that's Nicole. That's Matt too. Because when we become... God's children, we take on his characteristics. He puts within us the spiritual DNA that we begin to look like him, reflect him. Just like little Ryan Waters. I mean, he is a Waters. And that birth certificate that they have in their house is his identity that I am theirs. And our hearts, when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that's our identity. That's our certificate. And so if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and you believe him in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, then you are given a place of authority that no more, no more craziness, No more chaos. But when you come under the authority of Christ, you learn to allow the Holy Spirit to flesh that out. But the second purpose of authority is that we would model Christ to the world around us. Jesus says this in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. Ooh, don't talk about that. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. That's not a select few. 
I said this two weeks ago. Remember the prayer challenge? One person at one o'clock every day. If we don't pray for people, who's going to? If we don't step in the gap, Christ has given us that authority for our neighbors to pray for them, to speak into them, to love them, to be present in their life. Matt has the authority as a parent. Matt Priskinis, he has that authority to speak into Tristan's life. And it is his responsibility. Yes, Matt, it's your responsibility. And if you don't do it, you will miss out on the beautiful opportunity of Tristan following Jesus. And I say that because I, as a parent, have had to take on that responsibility. I have the authority to speak the love of Jesus into my life. To give my children every opportunity with all the chaos and all the curveballs that the world throws at them. But you see, here's the, prop, pro, the, the problem. It's the tension. The tension. Well I, well, I haven't seen anyone healed. And I, I haven't led anyone to Jesus. And I haven't seen the demonic. And I haven't done this. And so we live in this tension like, is it real? Is it real? Is this Jesus stuff really, really real? Because I'm telling you what, if it's not real, I'm a real idiot. Seriously. I am wasting my breath. I am fooling my children. I am putting them in a place of emotional and spiritual chaos. But if it is real, I'm about to have the ability to have my life radically changed. So let's look at stories in Scripture. Let me give you three. First, the disciples. The disciples saw this tension. They saw this tension that when they, when, they, when they were living under the authority of Christ, amazing things were happening. And they even saw when they were living under the authority of Christ that, you know, sometimes it didn't, things didn't work out the way that I had planned. Like this whole idea of this tension is like, Jesus, we've done it before, but it didn't happen this time. Because I want to teach you something new. You see, evil's a lot more evil than you think. So I want to teach you something about prayer. But again, A plus B is supposed to equal what I have prayed for, right? So you have the disciples. They've seen both sides. Then you have Abraham. Abraham's real name was what? Abram. Does anyone know what Abram's real name meant? The father of many. And God came down and he spoke to him and said, I'm going to call you now Abraham, the father of many nations. And he told Abram that I'm going to change your name and I am going to have you create a people for myself. And so Abraham, like all of us, took matters in his own hands. Matter of fact, his wife kind of put it in his hands as well. And she said, like, hey, God's promise didn't come true. Things aren't changing, Abraham. So here's what I want you to do. Take my maidservant and go make a baby with her. What a crazy wife, right? Right? Sarah, knucklehead. And so Hagar has a child. But that wasn't God's plan. 
And that brought huge tension to Abraham's life because as he was walking in the authority and positioning of God, he got lured away and took matters in his own hands. But God is a God of grace. He said, come on back. Reposition yourself. And 14 years later, his son Isaac was born. The God of heaven, who do we serve? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not Abraham, Ishmael, his son from the concubine, the maidservant, but the son that he promised. 14 years. Things don't always work out the way that we have planned. But what we are learning to do is we are learning to flesh out our relationship with God when God says, this is what I've called you to do. Obey me and see what I have in store. And in His timing, He makes all things beautiful. But here's the tension. I don't think we fall into the role of, of, of the disciples or even Abraham. I think we're like Moses. You see, Moses had God speak to him in ways that, that really no one else had him speak. Burning bush. He saw the miraculous like no other. He saw healings. He saw manifestations. He saw crazy stuff. But Moses wanted no part of it because he was afraid. And he wasn't afraid of himself. He was afraid of others. And I know that right now that there's a contingency of people in here saying, so what is Rob asking us to do? Because people are going to think we're crazy. Right? Right. Like what happened if you'd go, let's just take it from a, a base level. What happened if you went to your neighbor's house who you knew was sick and just said, hey, listen, can I pray for you? Can I bring you a meal? You are more afraid of being rejected by that individual than you are of God showing up and doing something miraculous. I had this happen this week. I was driving through Franklin Lakes and I drove by this guy who was pushing a thing filled with clothes and nasty stuff. I'm like, do I just keep going? I'm like, I can't. How am I going to let this guy who's homeless, believe it or not, in Franklin Lakes... Just walk the streets. Turn around. Took all his nasty old stuff. He had open bottles that he wouldn't let me throw away because that's how he was going to make money. And I'm thinking like, great, I'm going to get pulled over with an open canister. I'm going to get arrested. Put his stuff in my car. And I, took him to, and, I, and I took him into New York. I was thinking, you know what, Jesus? This might be my opportunity to be your presence. I was more afraid at first, like, oh, here we go. My day, my schedule, my what? Cops going to pull me. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. Fear keeps us from experiencing the power of God. There's a section there on my notes that says the protection of the believer, and you can read through those at home. Because God never sends us into places ill-equipped. Never. 
I have been in bizarre situations that I have been invited into, not because of my job, but because of my life, to help people, to literally rescue people, to do different things, and always God is present. But I want to conclude with two things. Not the protection of the believer, but two simple things. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is something that I've been holding on to for the last two months. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created Tristan. And God created Tristan with something bigger than just having a good job and raising a family and being really successful, which we all want Tristan to do, right, Matt and Jackie? But there's something bigger there. He's saying, I've created him to do great works that manifest my kingdom that are prepared ahead of time. If you know that and you believe that, you would start living differently. You know that? Do you honestly believe that God has created you to follow him as he called and as he created the disciples? Yes, to step into people's problems. Yes, to help people out financially. Yes, to be there for the broken. Yes, to even deliver the demonic because evil is more prevalent in our world today in the Western Hemisphere than ever before. And even to pray for healing. These are all uncomfortable things. But he says, I've already set these things up beforehand. All you need to do is step into them and trust them and know that I am present. And it's not you who delivers. It's not you who heals. It's not you who rescues. It's God. Look at that last little statement on the bottom. We are often more convinced of our unworthiness than we are with his worth. See that? Our inability takes on greater focus than does his ability. But the same one who called fearful Gideon a valiant warrior and unstable Peter a rock has called us the body of his beloved son on earth. The church needs to be the manifestation and the body of Christ. The problem with what's going on today in today's era of Christianity in America is that we have changed our roles. We have stopped being the body of the Son of God. And we have become a bunch of police officers with our own agendas. But if we would start mimicking and revealing and being Christ to the world around us, we would see the unbelievable in biblical proportions. 
I know this sounds strong, but I've said this in the past. I'm sick of it. I'm fed up with the church. Not you guys, but the church in general. I'm sick of this false hope, this false promise. I'm sick of Christians who who act one way and are different. I'm fed up with not seeing the power of God amongst us. And there has to be a point that the church repents. Yes, the church repents. Parents repent. People repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've taken you off the throne and I've put myself there. I I believe with all of my life that Jesus is doing a new thing in his calling. And he is going to manifest himself in the church to those churches who are willing to manifest him to the world around them. Stop being Moses. Stop. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I recognize that there are people that are going to hear this and struggle with it, and I'm okay with that. But I know that there's a group of people here that are just hungry. They're fed up with the brokenness and the pain that... that is not only going on in the world around them, but but that is taking place in their own soul. Jesus, I ask you that we would live in that tension, that, that as we push into it, that even in our unbelief, that we would every day show up and say, Jesus, manifest yourself. Be real. Be present. And God, you promise. You promise. You promise. You promise that you will be present, that you will reveal yourself, that you will be here in our pains and our sorrows, and you will take those and you will make them whole. You will restore them. God, go before us. Christ's name. Amen.